Hello everybody, what's up? You're listening to I Was Just Wondering with Tom Salmon, a podcast that dives into music, film and games and everything else in between. My guest on this week's episode is Alex Magana, who wrote, produced and directed his latest feature film, What Love Looks Like, which tells the story of five couples living in LA and their ups and downs of finding love and happiness in 2020. We jumped into Alex's experience directing and editing music videos, short films and web series over the last decade in Los Angeles. Why he chose to self-finance what love looks like and what keeps him creatively motivated as an independent filmmaker. So, if you're running, stuck in a traffic jam or sitting behind a desk at work, I hope you enjoy my interview with Alex. So for people who haven't seen your film and your music video work, who are you and what do you do? Hi, uh, so um, my name is Alex Magania. I'm uh, based out here in uh, Los Angeles, California. Uh, probably for the last decade or so, I've directed music videos, short films, promo videos, and uh, web series and feature films. I've done around 200 music videos, um, a lot of underground and indie, indie artists, um, hip-hop, R&B, soul music mainly, and then... Yeah, like uh, the last few years, I've mainly been focusing on doing indie feature films. And I just released my fourth film uh, titled What Love Looks Like. Which you're currently on the promotional run for that particular film, What Love Looks Like. So have you been pitching the film to people who haven't seen it yet? Um, so I, I've been reaching out to, you know, like a lot of, you know, first off friends and family, letting them know it's out. Um, and then trying to get the cast and crew to share it to their friends and family, and then also, you know, posting on social media and reaching out to various critics and trying to get some, you know, feedback and hoping they'll share it to their followers. Um, so the story follows five uh, different love stories, you know, dealing with just different aspects of love. So, so one story kind of follows that nervous um, guy trying to talk to a girl that he has like a big crush on and, you know, getting over that anxiety and like being super nervous. Um, there's another story that um, talks about someone who lost a loved one and then they're, you know, them moving on and being able to, you know, deal with that loss and then kind of self-heal and then be open to finding love again. Another story talks about, you know, someone like in a terrible relationship that they're kind of feel trapped in and then, you know, also being able to move on. And there's a story of, you know, someone meeting someone just as they're about to leave out of town. And it's been like, you know, like finding love mm. at the worst possible timing. And then the last one's just kind of like two people that don't like each other, but they end up falling in love. And what's the response been like from critics and audiences that have seen the film so far? I'd, you know, it's been mixed. Um, some people really love it. I've got like some of my strongest positive feedback off of this film so far out of all my films. And there's been you know, some kind of neutral and some that didn't like it. But mm-hmm. I mean, even the ones that didn't like it seem like they liked certain things. I mean, did you set yourself any goals in terms of distribution, um, like stream platforms and views and downloads for this particular project? Um, well, I, I uh, went through a distribution company in my in the past, so you know, through the past experiences, just looking up 
you know, different distribution companies out there and finding out and talking to other filmmakers, I kind of know what's out there for, you know, like the real indie level. Mm. Um, so when I made this film, I already kind of knew what I was going to do as far as distribution goes. And so, you know, like right now it's available like on Amazon, Google yeah. Play, DVD and Blu-ray, and then it should be like other places like Voodoo and Tubi TV, you know, iTunes and stuff like that in the coming weeks. I believe that this is the um, feature after the movie you made called The Slap, the movie which you wrote, produced and starred in. What was your kind of biggest creative lesson you learned from that experience which helped you in the early development process for what love looks like? I mean, the main thing is, I guess I learned from each film is just kind of learn better like camera techniques and like, you know, like friend. I mean, a lot of the cinematography gets better as I go to kind of I guess make the emotions and stuff more impactful because it was, especially with doing slap because it's so much comedy mm. and like comedy, a lot of it's like camera work, like certain camera works and certain edits and cuts will make a scene a lot funnier than if you, you know, got it wrong. So I, I like yeah. through slap, especially because there's so many jokes and so many like uses of camera technique to just emphasize the comedy and it's yeah. a lot of like slapstick humor. So yeah, that's when I learned a lot more on like comedy. Looking back now, can you remember the time and place and sort of emotionally and creatively where you're at that inspired you to make this particular project? Um, so when I did this one, it was actually because I had another film that came out before slapped a uh, title 29 life. And it's more like a kind of similar romance drama, like a coming of age story. And uh, just because of like how distribution works, it takes a long time to like see how, the film's been doing, like the people have been watching it or whatnot. Yeah. And so uh, it took a while, but then I like kind of started seeing that a lot of people were watching it and, you know, positive reaction. So I was like, you know, maybe that's a sign that I'm better in that genre. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of do another one and just kind of see where it went. I mean, was there, in terms of the stories, is there anyone uh, of the couples that's particularly personal to your own experience? I mean, none of them are, I guess, like, exactly. They just kind of, like, play off just different emotions. One about the guy who loses his wife is more, I use, like, I guess, different emotions because I'm in Los Angeles, so I have a lot of family members that I don't, like, see and stuff like that. So that kind of, like, right. is a similar feeling. And then, you know, the awkward one, even though I'm not, that awkward. I think we all kind of like have a feeling where we're like super awkward talking to someone we love you know, or yeah. like, you know, like that person you have a crush on. So I kind of wanted to just portray like certain um, emotions. And then the one, there's one where the guy's like on his phone all the time and just ignores his girlfriend. And I have friends that are just like constantly on their phone and you talk to them, and, you know, like just talking. Okay. So it's more like just going around and sort of, I guess like, watching it taking some from your own perspective and other people's around you and then you'll know way and you wrote this sort of story and what was the writing process like and how long did it take you to get that first draft done um so i, I probably i mean the hardest i think was just coming up with the different stories a couple of them came pretty easy and other ones took longer to get the actual like concept once once i had the concepts of like what the five stories were going to be yeah it probably took like a couple weeks just to like I wrote down probably like 20 different concepts and just narrowed them down to the ones I felt like were the best. And then, you know, probably spent like a couple more weeks doing writing those. 
Um, the rewrites took a while because I was like casting at the same time. Yeah. And then while I was doing the casting, I was having people to read the sides and the sides, just like based on how they would read the dialogue and make changes. And then um, it was like also during the holidays when I was doing the writing, so I was out of town, so I had like several weeks where I would just kind of go back and forth and reread them. Uh, I guess one interesting thing when I wrote them is I didn't, I wrote them each like separate. So like each story is like a separate script. And then in post, I kind of went through and edited them together. Um, and in terms of your writing background, is this something that you sort of studied uh, in LA or you just basically got like Save the Cat or William Goldman's uh, screenwriting book and just had a, just went away and just did it on, on your own volition? Um, in college, I went through uh, a film course that kind of did everything. We did film history, script writing and production. Yeah. So I had a background of that. And then um, I started doing the web series. You know, like the first one, I, it was a collaborative. And the second one was like collaborative. And the third one, I ended up doing myself. And then with the movies, um, two of them are collaborative. And then mm. um, 29 to Life and this one were just me. So it's, I mean, I, I guess I never really wanted to be a script writer. It was more, you know, just... You know, it was like I wanted to make these projects and then yeah. I'm kind of, you know, once I start going, I want to like get it done. And I, so I guess just like learning and getting better, you know, but seeing people's feedback helps a lot, especially when I do like a screening and I can see how people react to the scenes and the writing. In terms of the pre-production, I mean, what's it like putting together an independent film in L.A. in 2020? I mean, a lot of it's finding pre-locations, you know, like that's. It's kind of why I set the whole movie around the park. I, was, I wanted something that like united everything, so I, yeah. you know, like one location, and then also that was, you know, free to use. I mean, you can if you have like smaller crews, you can get around away with like a lot more. And you know, thanks to like technology advancing so fast, tiny like DSLR cameras are like getting better. You know, like even you see yeah. people shooting stuff on phones that looks pretty amazing. So a lot of it's just like the camera work and cinematography and you know, utilizing, you know, like the natural lighting, just, you know, just kind of like finding ways to shoot things that like make it look artistic. But, um, and then, you know, also asking people for favors, like if we can film in their house, like calling around asking a lot of places we can film. So it's, it's a lot, it's like a, a more of a hustle, you know, like on yeah. locations. And, and did you go the self-finance route or did you go crowdfunding in order to get the project made? Um, for this one, it was just self-funding. Since I have, like, the background with music videos, I've done, you know, I'm used to doing, like, the, basically, like, the pre-production, production, and post. Yeah. So I do all that myself, and then it's basically, like, a lot of the days were just me, my friend who does the sound, who, like, operates all the sound gear, and then uh, sometimes we have, like, one or two extra people on, you know, helping out. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it was just me and him, so... The, the behind the scenes were very minimal on this. I mean, were there any sort of days that you had like a sort of set, sort of like you were going to go film at that particular location and for whatever reason it fell through and were you able to sort of, because of the smallness of a unit, go and film somewhere else just so you made the day? I mean, uh, well, there was a couple of days we actually had to reschedule um, or we just kind of had to like wait and push things back. Like one day we were filming at the park and they ended up, being like a day they were doing landscaping so we had to just kind of wait it out while they were like mowing the yard and everything mowing the lawn and um 
couple a couple of days like that, or we had a reschedule just because of the whole day they were, you know, like doing tree trimming or something. Right. And you, you never really know. Um, we had some locations that just didn't work. So we, we ended up pushing those shoots back and kind of just, so, I mean, there's, there's the days um, that happen. I mean, luckily the cast, you know, was okay with, Rescheduling stuff. I mean, I can imagine in terms of casting, I mean, there's thousands of actors to choose from in LA. So, how did you go about casting the film? And did you use websites like Actors Access? Well, I mainly used LA, uh, LA Casting. Yeah. I didn't really know about Actors Access, Access until the end. So, there's a, a couple of roles that were cast off Actors Access. But, yeah, I mean, in that sense, it's, you know, low budget. It makes it suffer for. I mean, definitely the casting pool is smaller when it's low-budget stuff. Yeah, I just went through those sites and then, you know, having people send in audition tapes and going through those. So it definitely takes a while, especially certain roles that were, like, very unique. Like, the characters were more, like, quirky and just had, like, you know, dialogue that had to be delivered a certain way or it would just come off wrong. I mean, who was the... Which character was the hardest one to cast? Uh, well, before... I started casting, I thought uh, Evie, that's the one in the story about the guy who loses his wife and the girl that yeah. comes to the park. She's like real quirky, real quirky character. And I wrote the dialogue. I knew like it was going to be tough for whoever did that one to pull off. But then I think the actress that applied for that role, she was like one of the first people to like send in the self tape and it was like spot on, like... Mm. I was like, wow, because that role, I was like, I don't know if anyone is going to be able to play this, like how I envision it. So that one was the hardest. Um, and I, also just sort of picking up on that, I mean, did you use anybody from the three web series at all that you'd sort of like cast as well? Is there any sort of like returning actors you'd kind of used? Well, the scene that's actually the one, the Casablanca, like parody with the like, and then they do like some CSI like skit. Those two actors, those are actually, those scenes are actually from a web series that, nobody really watched. Mm. And so I, I really liked, especially the Casablanca parody, I thought was like hilarious. So I wanted to incorporate that into something where I figured people would watch it. So yeah. those two actors are, are in that one. And then they've actually been in like, um, they were in another web series I did and they've done like some skits with me, but yeah, cause I was gone. Cause what happened was I went to, I filmed slapped in Washington, the slap movie and it took, a long time to finish that and you know like a lot of the actors I had worked with have kind of moved on to other things so then they start doing you know just only sad stuff so in terms of the film's production I mean how many days did it take you to shoot the film Ooh, but this one I don't even I honestly did not keep track it was it was a lot there was some that were quicker to shoot um like the guy the story of the guy who lost his wife was probably right. like maybe like five days, but there was some we had to like break up. And so like, you know, just a scene here and scene here and then doing like a few reshoots mm. when the scene didn't turn out right or like to just get the acting room better. I mean, it was a lot of days. A lot of them were just like half days or like, yeah, I wish I would have kept track because it would have been interesting, but I like kind of stopped. It was just so hectic with so what's funny is I did this story thinking it would be easier to do five short films. I'm like, oh, it's short films, five, then it'll be easy. And it was so much more work. And then organizing all the schedules. And so I like 
at some point I just, you know, focused my attention on the scheduling and the editing mm. and just, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Well, that's something I just wanted to ask you because you were editing the film. Were you, when you'd sort of do shoot for the day, were you then looking at the dailies yourself like later on in the evening and then starting to put a rough edit of the five short films together to kind of see what you kind of had? Well, I, well how, how I edited it, on certain days, it just depended on if I had time. It would usually, that time would, you know, go back and edit at the end of the day and like start syncing up footage with the audio and doing the edit and, you know, in between shoot days. Um, how I edited this one was I just edited each scene. So it was kind of like on a, each story had like its own timeline. I just had like the the scenes broken up mm-hmm. inside that. And then when I had all the scenes done, then I just made like the the long timeline and I like would, you know, cut a scene and put it here, put a scene here. So it was just kind of like a montage, I guess. Like a, yeah. I was just guessing at the beginning then I would export it and then watch it through make notes and see like what needed to change and then I would like you know go and change that export it so I think it took like seven I think the seventh time exporting I got like the order right and did you just edit that like on like Final Cut Pro um or Premiere just on your laptop uh Premiere on, on the laptop in terms of the file size um, I guess it's a bit of a sort of geeky question, but sort of, sort of interested about it. Like, how big was the actual uh, sort of assembled final finished edit of the film? I mean, I don't think it was too crazy big because it was shot, you know, on a DSLR. So, right. I mean, it's shot in 4K, but a lot of the files are just how it shoots it. Um, I mean, I think it was like half a terabyte. I right. think I had like a terabyte total of footage, but there was a lot of, you know, like footage I didn't use, obviously. And so, so there's probably like around a terabyte of footage I shot, maybe more. And then the footage I ended up using was probably like half that. I mean, in terms of the material that you kind of cut, what kind of sort of stuff was that? And was that to do with like pacing issues? Um, Well, I mean, there's like multiple takes sometimes that, you know, I'd go through all the different takes and just use the strongest ones. Mm. Um, Yeah, some stuff, I think... I guess certain lines that I try to, for the most part, stick to the script the best I could. But like certain lines that they uh, went, you know, I don't, I don't think they were delivered to hit the punch. Like I don't think they hit the punch sometimes. You know, the, yeah. the punch lines were a little off. I try to cut those down or trim it. You know, like you said for timing. Um, I mean, it's pretty close to the script, but there is like a few areas that I tightened up, or mm. you know, I felt like the scene dragged on too long once I saw it, and then I would cut off the ending. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty close. Is there like a particular scene or moment that you wish you could go back and change? You sort of like watch now and you're just like, oh, if only I could go back and sort of tweak it a little bit. Um, there's there's uh, definitely a few scenes. Um, there's like some scenes I thought of that I could have changed. Like, I guess this is a specific one. So if you watch the movie, there's like a scene where the nervous character, when, like with the dog park storyline, he ends up asking the girl to dinner and a movie at her place. The reason we switched it is because we didn't have access to that location anymore, so we changed it to her place. Right. But I, I wish, like, in that scene, it would have been, like, you know, because it starts with a close-up on his face, and I wish I would have had a scene of him, like, looking around his apartment and cut to a wide, and his apartment's, like, super messy. Mm. And then he goes, dinner and a movie at your place, you know? So it's just kind of funny. Yes, yeah. That's why he's asking. But um, that, and then... 
I think there's like a scene outside a nightclub that I think just could have been executed better. I think some of the moments are missing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's scenes throughout, like I think the cinematography could have been stronger or mm. sort of took a little more time. I could have really punched up the emotions. Do you find that there is a sort of creative carry through from this particular experience onto the next one per se? And then even carrying on to the music videos you're sort of directing and editing and shooting at the moment? Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, this one, I, well, I learned a lot on like certain things because the camera I used was new. So, you know, some of the night footage, I definitely could have looked better. Like mm. some of the stuff I shot early on compared to the end, much is lit much better at the end. Um, you know, like dealing with all these different actors, I got to see a lot of different like techniques. So, you know, like directing the actors got a lot better towards the end. So yeah, there's a, and then when you edit your footage, I mean, editing is definitely tedious and I used to love editing, but like I've done it so much that on the bright side of editing, you get to see all the footage. So, you know, you can't like, there's no hiding from your mistakes. You get to go through yeah. each take and see like sloppy camera movement or like how this performance could have been better or like certain things. And so, you know, I'm constantly like seeing that and learning and, you know, getting better with framing and everything, just seeing like all the mistakes and everything that I could be better at. You sort of mentioned that you've directed and shot and edited over 200 music videos for artists like Capone and Mr. Little One and Sergio and many more as well. I mean, did that experience help you figure out the film's soundtrack and music? The main advantage I think with doing like music videos is you learn, since it's all silent, in a sense, you know, like there's mm. pretty much like silent films, you learn a lot with those on like emotions, like capturing people's emotions and body language um, to kind of get, especially when you're doing like storytelling type music videos. I mean, with hip hop, it's a little trickier because it's fast paced, fast editing, but definitely with like the R&B soul because they're slower. So you kind of get more of the pace and letting like scenes as far as the music goes. And then I think with the music videos, it's more when I've done like the promo clips and mm. like the short snippets where I have to edit the song down. Those ones, those ones is where, are where I have learned um, more of the music mixing. I mean, did you work with a film uh, composer or an artist to work on the film's uh, guitar-led music cues at all? Um, no, I mean, all the, so all the music for this one is just on, like, uh, royalty-free, like, subscription sites. Okay. And then... Yeah, I, mean, I think some music's better than other stuff because I laid in some stuff early on with older music I had. And then like towards the end, I got like a subscription. I started adding that music. And so um, I guess like a lot of it is just kind of feeling the motion and you have to go through, right. like chop the songs up and kind of slide them around. So it's not like how it, you know, you get the songs that build and have their ups and downs and... Mm just kind of chopping those up and just sliding them around and making your, like remixing them yourself to just match with the, the footage. And was there any particular website or royalty-free place that you went to that you found that was the best for your particular film? Uh, for this one, I went with Artlist, but there's other, I mean, Artlist I feel like was the best because they give you the most rights for as far as you can use it in you know, like a feature film. Like some of the other royalty-free sites you can use on like YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. But yeah. once you do like anything like feature or like commercial, then you start 
wanting to um, charge you. And some of them are pretty expensive, you know, like several thousand for a song. Uh, also, too, because since I've worked with so many musicians, some of the songs are from, like, musicians that I've worked with. Were there any sort of like particular ones you wanted to shout them out in terms of ones that are in the, in the film that you've worked with before? Uh, well, for this one, it's just the very first song, The Best Friend. That's by uh, Frenchie. Um, so her manager, he's helped me out a lot. Out a lot. His name's uh, Danny Boyd. Give him a shout out. He's definitely helped me out. Like I was slapped, especially in my like, 29 to Life. So a lot of the music was, pretty much all the music with like vocals and 29 to Life are from him. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff also and like slapped. So yeah, he's, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely nice like knowing the artist. And when it came to mixing the film's sound, what sort of options were available to you? Did you use like Logic, Pro Tools, anything like that? I did all the sound mixing in Premiere, so probably not the best, I guess. But yeah, it's just, it was like the quickest and what I'm familiar with. So yeah, I mean, I got pretty good audio quality from the sound gear I have. And then I had to do some ADR stuff, but, you know, just leveling everything out in Premiere and then adding, you know, ambience here and there you know and the music and that was that was pretty much it and the sound effects you know how much adr did you have to do and what was that like coaching the actors through that because that's quite an unusual process i think from what i've seen yeah i mean i did mine i think like super unconventional just because like the actor's availability and i didn't really have anywhere like a studio to record most of it in i mean some of it we did do in like a sound recording area but basically, um, some was pretty easy, like the text messages and just like the messages where it's just like what the people are thinking, mm-hmm. you know, just having them read it and record it in like a sound booth, whatever. Um, but like the ADR that was like outdoors and stuff, I would usually, basically what I would do is I would edit the footage and then export the audio clip or export that video clip of the audio and then go somewhere outdoors that like matched where we filmed and then just get the mic nice and close to them and yeah. play back. I pretty much would have to play back the audio and have them like repeat it and then deliver the line. So just play the audio, have them get a sense of the timing and the yeah. cadence and then repeat it a few times and just go through like line by line. So when that was all done, um, what was that? What did that moment feel like when you sort of put it together um, and it was all ready to go and you were going to sort of send it off? Can you remember what you were sort of, sort of thinking and feeling at, at that particular moment? Well, I guess, I mean, obviously there's like the relief, the relief you feel because it's so much work. But then also I feel like part of me is kind of like, I bet there's something I like didn't notice that I missed, you know, like some like some error that I didn't yeah. see. So part of me is like, I don't even want to look at this at least for like months so I can forget Mm-hmm. I did make a mistake because I've gone through it at that point like so many times just re-watching it like you know like looking for glitches I think the last couple of times when I was exporting it there was glitches in the file so I have to sit there and kind of just watch it like my eyes like glued to the monitor looking to see yeah. if there was a glitch before I sent it off and so yeah by the end my eyes were just like red for days you know just watching it through making mm-hmm. sure I didn't like blink trying to so yeah it's definitely when you're done it's i mean it's short-lived though too because i think it's like a creator you're always like once you already have like another project in the background yeah back of your head that you're like okay this is done time to 
move on to the next one. And then plus also, you know, the promotion. So it's done, but now you're spending tons of time promoting and sharing. I'm sort of interested. How do you go about getting your project on Amazon Prime? Could you talk a bit a about going through that sort of initial sort of process and then actually ending up on there? Um, so for Amazon Prime, it's actually anyone can do. So anybody could upload content to Amazon Prime. Um, the main thing though is it has to pass quality control. So they have you upload it. It has to be you know, like in the Apple ProRes file type, and they kind of run it through their QC. And as long as you know the audio and the video passes quality control, then you're good to go. And then obviously you know they have like their restrictions, like you can't have certain offensive content on there. Mm-hmm. Not. But yeah, Amazon Prime is pretty pretty simple. But I mean, I went through a distribution company just because other outlets are harder to get on, like Google Play and iTunes and stuff like that. You pretty much need to go through someone. And then also, I feel like when you do go through the distribution, if they're, you know, like a known company, you also get, you know, like their fans and like their network they have in place. So they, it helps with like getting the word out. And so, so, I mean, you know, there's always the argument people will talk about of self distribution versus you know, just a distributor. And I think if you, there's different, there's good companies out there. You just have to, you know, do your homework because there's definitely bad deals. So I think the main thing is, you know, researching a bunch of different companies, like um, looking at, looking up other filmmakers that have used them and like contacting them and just seeing like what kind of experience they had and then making your decision. And which do you, can you say which particular distribution company that you used for this project? Uh, so for this one, I went through Indie Rights. And um, do you think in terms of going through Indie Rights and ending up on Amazon Prime and Google Play, it, do you think that's a good way to sort of monetize content for indie creators like yourself? Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of it's going towards streaming. So it's, I think it's a good outlet, you know, with Amazon. Um, I mean, there's a lot of streaming sites that are just like constantly popping up. So, you know, who knows what it's going to be like in the years to come. But, you know, the online streaming platforms are definitely nice because they give indie, you know, indie indie filmmakers like myself an outlet. And, you know, going like the theater route is expensive. And, you know, you're renting out theaters and then it's hard to get attendance. And so, yeah, it's like a cost-efficient way to get the film out there and to, you know, like a lot of people. It's just a lot of work doing the promotion. Like the marketing, like they say, is half the work. Mm-hmm. So, um, For filmmakers I've sort of spoken to, there's a massive short film sort of circuit where you can go, you know, basically you can take your short film um, to the Oscars, uh, but I haven't spoken too much with people that have actually made features. And I wondered if there was sort of an equivalency of that in film festivals that are happy to take indie-produced features. Well, when I did my slap to the movie, we submitted that to a few few film festivals and no one picked us. But when I did do my web series, like the last web series I did, I submitted to a few web series and I did get selected for a few of them. But then when I went to the, I guess what happened was I went to the film festival and it was like one of the bigger ones for the web series. And it just kind of felt like it was when like promoters ran it and it wasn't really, you know, I thought I was going to go there. It was going to be a big audience full of all these like fans of films, but it was pretty much just like the creators that came. So like 
I came with the, some of the cast and crew, and then there were three other. They, they basically broke us up into blocks of like four mm-hmm. a web series. And so there was the other, you know, three other web series, like their main cast and crew. And so it was like maybe 30 people in the audience. And, you know, it's just like cast and crew. And, and so it's just, I guess when that happened, it was it kind of rubbed me the wrong way on the whole film festival. And, you know, it's, yeah, so I kind of just have been pushing them out. I mean, definitely if I can get the funds going, you know, in the future to kind of get a marketing campaign with like a PR and pushing it that way. I think certain films are good for film festivals and I think certain ones, you know, are better just to push on your own. Mm-hmm. Just kind of depends on your film and like what film festival you're targeting. I also just sort of think in terms for you, like how will you personally measure the success of this film? If it's just, how many people watch it, you know, it's, it's always like the goal. It's mm. always sad when you work really hard because it's, it was a lot of, a lot of work putting this together, especially on the editing side. Mm. I don't think people, you know, you'd have to make your own film to know, but especially because I'm doing, you know, everything, writing, directing, and editing, it just adds up to like so many hours. And it's nice when people like are sharing it and you get the feedback from people and then people are like find you out of nowhere. Like I'll get random messages sometimes where people just tell me they really love the film and like to keep making films. So that's kind of where it's at. And I think like some of the stories, you know, hopefully like what love looks like people relate to and it, you know, kind of makes some kind of positive impact. So you've made, you know, 200 or more sort of music videos. You've made sort of four features now in the web series. For you, what compels you to create? Where do you locate that in yourself to get out there and want to make films and invest this amount of sort of time and energy into these projects? Well, film making, it's cool because it's different each time, you know. Even, I mean, you have like the fundamental things that are similar, uh, but, you know, it, each film has its own problems, you know, like, you know, it's just different aspects of it that make it different mm-hmm. and the locations are different, different actors. And so just the challenge, you know, that you never know what's going to happen. Like something usually comes up and then just dealing with the challenge makes it you know, always fun. And the artistic aspect of the cinematography, especially, and then just getting like the performances to like getting those moments that, you just kind of like bring out emotions that people really relate to. And yeah, I mean, just that creation, like sometimes too, just watching other people's films, just kind of like inspired me. Like, oh, I want to go out and like make something now. It's, it's just cool because it's like filmmaking has like so many different aspects to like the artistic side, you know, like from mm. the locations, like art, you know, the art department areas, the wardrobe, just the lighting, the sound design, the acting performances, the overall like story. I mean, like the script, look how many books are about just like writing the script and like the plot structure and people just like, you like pick apart so many different areas of a movie that it's like a, all these different aspects of art just coming together to make one mm. project, which is really cool to me. And what advice would you give to a young filmmaker that was looking to write, edit, and direct his first feature film? Just the biggest advice would be to, you know, do it. I think a lot of people, the hardest part, I think, is the first 
day of like anything, you know, like the first page of your script, mm. first day of production, like those days, it's like, it's like uh, standing, you know, there, you're ready to jump in like a cold pool and you're like, I don't want to jump in. But like once you're in there, you're good to go. It's like, it's like that. Like once you do the first shoot day, like some days I'm like, oh, there's going to be so much, like, how am I going to even do this? And then you do the first day and then things just seem to flow and it isn't as bad as you thought. And just sort of thinking about it in terms of the industry, the film industry which you work in, especially in sort of 2020, is there like a particular aspect that you would change having worked in it since the, since the aughties? I think it's, it's slowly changing, but I mean, I think kind of like how it's changing now is it's becoming definitely more open. Mm. It used to feel more controlled, you know, like the same with music. It's kind of like the big studios, the people that have the money kind of controlled who was creating content and who was getting exposure because they could run the commercials and they had like, you know, no one else had the resources to create. But like, since everything's been getting, you know, cheaper and more affordable and like technology is constantly advancing and there's like so many outlets, you know, like for people to put their content out, you know, like YouTube and Vimeo and just, you know, Instagram, put stuff, TikTok, like Facebook, you can just get your content out there. So it's, it's like the coolest thing is just seeing it open up to, you know, a media that anybody can access instead of just the people that could afford it and have the connections. Like now it's like anybody could make something. You know, you can just pick up your, your phone and like start creating. I mean, for you, what's your dream project if money and time wasn't an issue? Say that you, a big studio approached you with the checkbook and said, hey, you know, we've got money, you know, to make a... Uh, to make a feature, what would what would be something? What would be the thing you'd really love to make? Um, mine would be probably like something more like sci-fi action type movie, like something epic like that. I just love how like certain movies, like Alien or you know, like The Fifth Element, you know, like any of those like really big mm. sci-fi blockbusters or like Jurassic Park, that just kind of take you out of this world and put you in a completely new story world with like these massive sets that are just, you know, like epic sets and like an epic adventure. I think that would be, that would definitely be the ultimate goal, like something cool like that or like, you know, Avatar does just like these, like, you know, just kind of like escape and go into a completely new environment, new worlds and just kind of explore it and create a cool story. I mean, is that something you thought about? I mean, probably not at that level, but is that something you thought about maybe for some projects that are sort of coming up due to the, I guess, like the availability of um, VFX now and green screen and that kind of sort of thing? And you can you can actually achieve quite a lot for not that much. Yeah, I was actually, um, with the next projects, yeah, I was definitely going to, you know, try to do it like on a smaller scale, um, kind of creating those, those cities and stuff. Yeah, I was... I was definitely going to attempt to like start adding like a, you know, utilizing what I have and then adding like a little bit here and there to kind of create these story worlds that are, you know, unique with the resources that I have. So there you have it. I had a great time chatting with Alex. And you can watch what love looks like on Amazon Prime right now. Just hit the link in the description box below. And don't forget to check out more great content on aruba.com. From film reviews, 
video game hot takes and top 10 videos. And why not sign up and become a member and share your passion for all things entertainment on aruba.com today. And you can like and subscribe to I Was Just Wondering with Tom Salmon on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and YouTube. And maybe leave a comment or review if you like. And you can support the podcast on Subscribestar at www.subscribestar.com forward slash I Was Just Wondering with Tom Salmon right now. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Tom and I'll catch up with you next episode.